Welcome to the special 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating life, liberty, and property. You are currently listening to Life Season 1. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast. And we are in episode five. And man, you guys are going to love this, uh, love this interview. But we are focused on uh, the principle of life and the idea that you are your greatest asset, your strengths, your genius, your unique abilities. They're, they're things that really you have that are producing the income that you're receiving. And these are, these are assets that you can uh, add to. And looking really at, I would say, a drive of everyone is to do something that's fulfilling, that they are achieving, that they're doing it in an environment that is safe and productive. And, uh, and there is no better person to, uh, to talk to this uh, than uh, Neil Godfrey. Now, this is a name you may not uh, be familiar with, but, but Neil, she, is a, she has written uh, 30 books uh, over the years. And she has uh, been an executive, one of the one of the first, if not the first, female executive at Chase. Uh, she's pioneered, you know, just kind of the executive uh, executive professional roles for women, uh, and has really been a a champion for good when it comes to education uh, regarding families. And so, specifically, financial education. So, this is an awesome interview. You can uh, learn about her her at neilgodfrey.com. It's N E A L E. Godfrey, G-O-D-F-R-E-Y. And uh, currently she is the uh, president of Green Street Commons, uh, but is the chairman of the Children's Financial Network, which is um, all that information is available for you uh, on her website. So definitely check her out. It is an amazing, uh, amazing interview. Had a great time and I know you're going to enjoy it. So we are in season, uh, season one life. This is episode five. Neil, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. It is a privilege to have you, and I'm really excited uh, for our conversation today. It's great to be here, Patrick. So, Neil, I I, I thought what would be good to to begin <clears throat> is for you maybe to give a little bit of background of uh, you know, what you've done professionally, and then also maybe an introduction into the the Children's Financial Network and what you're up to uh, what you're up to these days. All right. Well, professionally, I started my career in 1972 as one of the first female executives in banking in the United States when Chase Bank decided to hire just a few women. So joined Chase, rose through the ranks, became an executive, and it was, you know, it was really a pretty cool time at that point. And also being sort of one of the first trailblazers was something that you know, I took for granted, but, you know, looking back on it, it was like, oh, my God. So there was a really <laughs> big glass ceiling, as you can imagine. So I hit it after 13 years, and then I left and became president of the first woman's bank. And, Patrick, you weren't around, but your mom would remember that women could not get credit on their own name until 1974. Yeah, I knew that. That's crazy. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is. It totally is. So anyway, um, so I was running the first woman's bank. I watched women be disempowered handling their own money. And I did some research to find out why. And it was because we were never taught anything as children. So at that point, I had two little kids and I was a single mom. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I don't want my kids to grow up to be stupid about money. 
and I looked for books to teach them, and there were none. There were no books <laughs> in the 1980s to teach kids about money. So then my three-year-old daughter said to me, Mommy, why don't you write the books? And it was like, whoa. So, of course, the next thing she said was, oh, are you afraid? <laughs> Which meant that you know, I had to sort of crouch and establish eye contact and say, no, I'm not afraid. The, that's the ultimate um, ultimatum. Yeah, totally. Yeah, really? Watch, watch, watch me. So anyway, um, I did, you know, write a book, the, the Kids Money book. And if you're going to start a topic and become an entrepreneur, in those days, you needed a book as a calling card. And at that point, Simon & Schuster was the world's largest publishing company. So I dashed into them and said, ta-da, I have the Kids Money book. We can own this area, teach kids all around the world about money, and their reaction to me was, well, thanks for stopping in. There are no books to teach kids about money. Therefore, it's not a topic of interest. Wow. Yeah. So also, you know as an entrepreneur, the deal is don't cry in front of them. Okay? So <laughs> I made it outside before I burst into tears, and then I thought, ah, you know what? They need proof of concept. You know, Patrick. So I opened up the first children's bank at FAO Schwartz in 1988, That's a real cool. bank for kids. Yeah, it was really cool. And an institute for youth entrepreneurship up in Harlem to work with at-risk kids. And I thought, okay, we're going to show them. And both were very successful. In fact, Princess Diana flew over with the royal kids to open up accounts. I mean, this was cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, okay, back into Simon & Schuster, 700 articles and TV shows, ta-da, I'm here, proof of concept. And they said, well, there still are no books to teach kids about money. Thanks for stopping it. Wow. So I was like, are you kidding? So, anyway, thought about it, outside crying, not inside crying. And it was, you know what, I did leverage buyouts from my days at Chase Manhattan Bank. I can figure this out. So I bought a publishing company. I bought a division <laughs> of Macmillan under the proviso that they would publish my first book. And of course, I was chairman of the board, so it wasn't like a big stretch. So of course, they published it. And we sold 50,000 copies. I sold the publishing company, went back to Simon & Schuster and said, I'm back. And they said, oh, here's this other book. It shows that it's a topic of interest. And then... Um, I, they published my first adult book called Money Doesn't Grow on Trees, A Parent's Guide to Raising Financially Responsible Children, and I got a phone call from Oprah Winfrey. Mm. Yeah. That's like the, so, well, that's not the golden phone call. That's like the, the quadruple diamond phone call. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the big platinum one. Um, and I did 13 shows with Oprah over a four and a half year period. And that book, of course, hit number one in the New York Times bestseller list and sort of the rest is history. So 27 books later and obviously being an entrepreneur, uh, it's great to be here. Well, it's one, of those, it's one of those, it's one of those inspirational stories that you know, shows you the, the fuel that can be created by rejection uh, and the adversity that ensues because of it. And uh, and I and I would say that you know the first one was by uh, your the challenge of your of your children and then uh, second by Simon and Schuster twice. But I think the, you know I, I think the taking into consideration the era because uh, this it sounds like this was you know uh, early mid eighties 
Or was this still late 70s? No, no, no. This was now, at that point I became president of the bank in 85 and then wrote the first book in 89. And okay. then the second book that was on Oprah came out in 93. Wow, and and that's a and that's incredible, right? That even in the '90s, right, you didn't have just a, a, a really easy way to distribute uh, your ideas, literature, uh, books. You had to use the the, the traditional uh, channels. And today, obviously, there are so many different avenues. But still, going back. Uh, and looking at just the the limited resources there uh, there were, it just it just shows how uh, how difficult it is to penetrate uh, you know a market that doesn't exist. I don't even know if you call it penetration, but create a market that really doesn't doesn't exist. Well, you know, I never thought about it in the, in the way that you just said it. That's really interesting, Patrick. That you know, I guess yes. At any one of those junctures, you could just look at rejection and say, okay, so much for that. I'm out of here. Um, I always, when I hear no, my reaction is, nah, they don't mean no, they mean they don't understand, so mm-hmm. you didn't communicate well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, in today's world, um, you know, there's so many alternatives we have in terms of social media to get things out, but we didn't. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was and, books. But here's, and, and I would say, Neil, the, uh, the irony is if you look at the the lack of education then i mean there were there wasn't material in general but at the same time today you know i would say there's still a very you know a very um you know profound misunderstanding when it comes to you know financial education financial concepts within 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 families despite the amount of literature courses instruction uh, that's that's out there. So as you look at you know maybe what you've been able to accomplish over over the years, how are you how are you addressing the fact that there still is a, a scarcity when it comes to uh, just understanding of what to do financially within families? Well, it's really a good point, um, Patrick. That uh, you know we've come a long way. I was, it was exciting to be able to start. A topic. I've written 27 books on it, which wow. sort of indicates that I've had no life, but and <laughs> gaming apps for kids and websites and all this other stuff, but we're not where we need to be. And I think it has to do with the fact that, that money is such an emotional topic yeah. for people. It's life's report card, it's you did it well, you, you know, you were stupid, it's, it's all this stuff. And it's not easy within families. Not easy. You know, in terms of family dynamics, it's always up there. So it continues to be a topic that people are uncomfortable with. And so, and I would say it is, and that has prevented really the utilization of, uh, of the information that exists to create some sort of you know, framework within the family. So, so I would say within your, within your literature, how do you, how do you get through that I would say pretty significant obstacle, which is breaking through the, uh, you know, the uh, the emotional side, more of the the I would say f- fear side uh, of really identifying where uh, you are financially. Like, what what are some of the things you've said throughout the years in your books 
uh, and in your uh, articles and, and interviews that really is that you know, maybe there's like a skeleton key to that to that door like what is uh, what are, what's some of the secret sauce around uh, overcoming that challenge well if you think of money as the business side of your life and your relationship you can step away from it a little bit mm-hmm. it isn't who you are you're not who you earn you know what you earn you're not you know an investment banker is not more valuable than a teacher they do different things and society pays them different salaries but it's not you're not your money and that's really what I tell people and if you follow your passion and what you're really good at and what you really love to do the money follows mm-hmm. and richer you know rich people are not happier than no. poor people we know that yeah. No, one of the one of the things that I've, I've been thinking about recently. This is this is an idea I learned, you know, probably over ten years ago, which is, you know, you have a you have a financial statement, but the financial statement is is kind of a is a mirror, right? And it's a mirror uh, in a couple of regards. Number one, you know, your income. You know, it's not like your employer pays you for doing nothing. Like you provide a service. You know, you're 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 valuable. You have this. Um, you know, difficult to to quantify. Well, I guess not difficult to quantify, but difficult to explain. Asset, right? Which is your position, sure. your education, your experience, right? And and your income comes comes from that. Uh, and then you also have expenses, which is essentially you're paying other people to do services for you. Uh, and then you have where that income uh, comes from, which is you know kind of like a uh, a human. I call it the human capital financial statement, which it comes from this you know asset that you have, whether it's your training or your certification or your experience experience or your personality, uh, your network, uh, your, you know, et cetera. And that, that is something just like you can build the assets of a financial statement, you know, in the, in the physical world, right. Accumulating assets, et cetera. Uh, you can also build, and I th- I would say it's easier sometimes, uh, to build the assets in, you know, the human capital statement, which is, uh, you know, really within your control. And I, and, and getting into the idea that you just said is profound, which is, Everybody has that unique, like passion, that unique genius that's that's within him, which is, you know, that that asset that you're searching for, right? As you're as you're building your your uh, you know your your human capital financial statement, and once you discover that, it's it's almost as if you know work doesn't exist, right? And you're you're pursuing something, and it is you know paying you, but you would have done it without getting paid. For it, I think yeah. that is you know one of those those things that exists for everyone, uh, but also it's very hard to convince somebody of you know that that that, that exists because you know most people are not living in the best financial shape. No, I agree, and and the whole when you talked before about um, sort of looking at your assets, I, I love that, and your friends, your family, that you know what gives you joy. And it's not going to be, wow, having a lot of money. I, you know, I hope no one ever says that. It's the quality of your life. And, it, and the quality doesn't have to do with, with the money part of it. And in terms of work, uh, I want you to have something where you get out of bed every day and go, woohoo, I'm going to work. This is cool. I'm loving it. Not every day. I mean, you know, there's some days it's like, oh, my God. But <laughs> in general... Love what you do. I heard something, and and I would say of anyone, you you could could maybe uh, back this up or maybe even refute it. But 
uh, it was a it was a book that Simon Sinek did. I don't know if you've ever, ever read any uh, Simon Sinek books, uh, but he he was talking about how today there are challenges that that uh, adolescents are are facing that you know teenagers even children are facing, uh, whether it's um, uh, drug use, uh, whether it's um, suicide. I mean, some pretty significant, you know, pretty pretty severe pretty severe issues, and he. He didn't go in and claim that this was the cause, but he basically said that within the family, it is there's this dynamic in the workplace where uh, you know the, the the inferior way in which they're treated, or the fact that they're going to something that they despise and they don't like being there, but they're doing it because they have to pay their bills. That that you know that mentality that is established by doing it day in and day out uh, affects the kids. And and then the kids subsequently, you know, share the the you know that burden um, and have those issues because of it because they're not used to dealing with it as parents are, as adults are, and it, and so it, it hit me because I have a, I have an office here of you know of uh, more than fifty people uh, and then we have some remote you know a dozen and a half remote uh, worker or guys and and uh, support staff, and and it's one of those things where when I read that like I I, I did a very you know, uh, in, I did a lot of introspection into the environment that exists, the culture that, that exists, and it caused me to make a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of changes. Um, so, so looking at you know, we we say you know, Neil, you and I say that, and we say that you know that is possible. You can wake up and and find a a profession that you love or find something that you love, but yet the majority of people are just going to roll their eyes. So, so what are some ways in which you yeah. have, you know, written about that or explained that and have given hope to people that, uh, that that is possible, that they can find something that, uh, that they wake up to, you know, you know, 90, let's say 80, 20 rule, 80% of the time. Right. And they love, and they love to do it. Well, it's not easy. And, and remember, you know, in the olden days, we don't have as many factories as, as we used to have. But I don't think that many people ever woke up and said, whoa, I'm going to the factory, I'm going to the coal mine. I don't think they necessarily felt that way. But what I think that they had in their life is the advocations and the things that they did outside of work. So I also think it's important to make sure that the other stuff that you do really warms your heart. Are you hanging out with the people you want to be with? Um, or is it time to maybe carve some friends and family out of that cadre? Um, do Are you doing the sports? Are you exercising? Are you doing other things that fill your heart? And, and that's what you have to think about, too. So we do do things during our lifetime. And let's say, you know, it may be having a cruddy job, but it's to be able to afford to send the kids to private school or whatever that is that you want to do, that you have alternatives. But at some point, you know you're going to get there. So there are sacrifices that we make, but it's, you know, you would like people, especially in today's world, where you have so many alternatives, not to be, you know, kind of knocking up against the uh, the coal mine every day. And I would, I would, add, I would add to that, it's, it's not this... Because I think the, 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 there's a there's an idea in pursuing something which isn't uh, an, an overnight thing, and and sometimes I would say you know the frustration 
uh, that exists where people have this kind of immediacy complex because of the you know the society that we live in that they want you know results really quickly. But I would say you know I love cr- that. creating yeah. this like mix. I don't even call it a balance, but a mix of a mix of life. You know, it's one of those it's one of those infinite game type of things where you're always doing it and you're always going to do it. There's never this, you know, like uh, per- perfect, perfect, you know, balanced family or person. I don't think that's you know the pur- the purpose of life. But it's always to figure out ways in which you're improving. And and because you know, I, I, you would probably like totally laugh at me for doing this, but I have this like uh, this little app on, on Google Chrome that counts down my life. Like it has days and hours and minutes, um, and you know it does like a calculation in the beginning is of your life expectancy. And it just it basically says you know make every make make every moment count, and and I would say as we're continually making improvements, we realize that a bulk of our time, a huge amount of our time, is spent uh, working. Right? It's it's spent in an right. office, and 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 being able to you know do that year in year out year out and not enjoy it. I think it, it eats at you. But like you said, there are so many opportunities that uh, that are our current. You know, amazing society, amazing world is is offering, but it really it takes a different paradigm, a different perspective uh, to to take to those uh, opportunities. Whereas you first have to believe that they're possible, and then you just keep your eyes open, and it, those those opportunities will um, manifest them themselves. And I'll give you a, I'll give you an example that I have, and maybe you have a couple examples too. Um, but I was at an event recently, and the individual. Um, was you know asking questions along these along these lines, and he was in the Marines for several years, uh, and now is working for uh, a, a company that does uh, primarily government contracting, and and it's like how do I you know how can you turn something like that into this entrepreneurial venture? And we had a, a really cool discussion, really nice guy, and it, and and I was asking like what's what are what are your duties? What are your skill sets? Like what are you trying to you know uh, like wh- what are you doing that you're paid for? And he's, you know, he understands import and export laws, and he knows how to create, you know, commerce and contracts uh, between, you know, domestic companies and international ones. And I'm like, dude, like there is probably a lot of companies that want to get into emerging markets or want to get into, yep. you know, India or Africa, and, and you know, China is becoming, you know, more of a consumer than the U.S. So it's those are like skills that like most companies would like pay a contractor or pay a freelancer to to at least consult with them. Um, you know, and, and show them the op- the opportunity, and but it, but it's one of those things where it's it's you know sometimes the solution the the uh, you know the the solution is right in front of us, the answer is right in front of us, but you know sometimes we make it too complex. Well, I love that. I first of all, I also you know the with the military, I work with wounded warriors to help them become entrepreneurs, and that's one of the things that's really great. And and as you're talking about this person is is we so often, like this guy's doing, undervalue our own skills. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, 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 take a step back. <laughs> you know, hold it. There are people out there who would love to have those skills. But, but I love what you said before about the fact that sometimes we also take jobs because we're on the, the way up. And what I want everybody to do is when they're at that job, just don't go, oh, my God, it's like real grunt work. I'm moving the piece of paper from here to there. Number one, see and think about that workplace. 
what works, what doesn't, how would you improve it? How would you change it? Now you're starting to hone your own entrepreneurial skills. The other thing is, look at the people who are running the place. Are those traits that I like? Are those things I will never do? What can I learn from this situation? So I want everybody every single day to think they're walking into an incubator. And they're only gonna get out really what they put in. And listen, talk, find out. See how effective you are. You know, if you change some sort of, of a way that you're acting, are you getting a different reaction from people? What happens? What is that employee you want to be? You want to be the one who walks in every day and goes, oh my God, I'm so tired, I was out all night, you know, I'm just wrecked. Or you want to be the one who goes, hey, how are you? We all have problems. We all do. Who doesn't have problems? But. You get to decide. Yeah. You get to use that. And what a wonderful place to have your first job. Yeah. Be that. Have you Be that incubator? Have you ever have you ever done a well as you were saying this it's it's amazing and what came to mind was was uh the these 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 escape these entertainment centers that have escape rooms. Have you have you heard of those before? Um Sort of keep going like it, a WeWorks thing where you walk in and no 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 yeah this, so this is more it's more entertainment so it's a it's an escape room where they have like you go into a room and you can do it with like a you know your friends or you can do it just with strangers but you go into a room and there's all sorts of clues and you're supposed to solve all these puzzles and you know solve riddles and crossword puzzles and get keys and you know and and you're supposed to you know essentially escape the room. Uh, within a certain time frame, and you're working with people uh, to, you know, this person does this task or this person does that task, and there's like Harry Potter themes, there's, um, you know, Disney movie themes, there's Pirates of the Caribbean themes, there's, you know, Jack Bauer 24 type of themes. But you're supposed mm-hmm. to go in and like work as a team to figure out solutions. Have you heard, have you heard of those before? Those type of like no, entertainment but centers. Great. Yeah. I mean, I've been involved in that kind of a thing where the team has to come up with within a corporation though, with you know certain tasks to make it work for everybody yeah. but yeah that's great and that's a business I mean if you think about just a business there are no businesses out there I mean even your your Amazons or your Googles your Microsofts I know a lot of you know people that have worked there and, and, and previously worked there you know they they have challenges right even though they're you, you know they're perceived as this like you know amazing company they have challenges, and there are always you know things that uh, can be improved on. Always ways in which you can make a process more e- efficient. Uh, but I would say you're totally right, and I love the idea of, of this you know this intrapreneur. So we always hear entrepreneur, but the intrapreneur you know is someone that is you know it is that that like you know that gamer going into these escape rooms and figuring out how to solve clues and how to circumvent this and try and try this. And I think that mentality. Right is is sought after by um, by manager. I mean, you know, by good managers, good managers, good business owners, uh, because they they realize that you know there's things that they don't see, and and sometimes the way they look at things, it's the same way that you do in a sense, which is you can't see uh, what's what's right in front of you sometimes. And so and so I well, love that. I just love that idea. You know, within a corporation, you get to be it gets to be pretty homogeneous in terms of whatever your area is. <laughs> And I think it was was Steve Jobs who never had people from the same area work in the same group. It, it may have also it may be Bezos 
to that he does the same thing. Yeah, LinkedIn does the same thing. And the whole point is that cross pollination. Mm-hmm. And you know, the guy who's an you know uh, an an engineer sitting next to somebody who's in marketing sitting next to someone who's doing you know in accounting. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And network, just network. Go through the directory and, and figure out some area you've never heard of and you'd like to go find out what they do. People like to talk about themselves. <laughs> and all they can do is say, no, don't bother me. But say, you know what? I don't know anything about blah, blah, blah. I would love to learn about how you know your blockchain technology <laughs> could be effective for what I do. You know, is it possible for us to spend some time together? Yeah. You had to bring up the B word, but we won't go down that rabbit trail. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did. I brought up the B word. <laughs> well, cool. Well, let's do let's do this. We could probably go on on these on these on these topics for uh, for much longer than you have than you have time for. I, I'd love to maybe segue and uh, and for you to maybe talk about what you're you know what you're doing with NeilGodfrey.com. Uh, and also the the children's uh, financial network and and you know the ways in which children are learning about finance because I, I have I have kids I have a three year old eleven year old and a thirteen year old and cool. you know I'm I'm right in that and I've taught you know my kids um, you know qu- quite quite a bit but also it shows me that there's just not there's still not a lot of uh, educated kids when it comes to money they see cards. They see apps, they see Amazon, but they don't necessarily recognize. You know, they understand the transaction side of things, but they don't understand. You know, just the uh, the, the money th- side of things, which you alluded to. Money is more of a receipt of value than value itself. Uh, and what goes into earning money? What goes into making money? What goes into saving money? What goes into spending? So I'd love for you to maybe talk about just you know what what you've uh, I would assume refined over the years with regards to the education you're providing to children. Well, what I found is that there's not one trusted source of money advice. The so, you know, I'm talking about the softer side of money. Those conversations, the things that we're having now. You know, how do you raise those kids to be financially responsible? How do you have the conversations with your spouse? How do you, you know, raise kids that are happy and healthy and not spoiled children? All those things. So I set up a website called neilgottfried.com, Money for Life for people to literally come in and and be able to have those conversations and to talk about what's going on and talk about workplace issues and home issues and parent issues and kid issues. And that's really what I want to to do. And I've never done um, a B2C. I've always done B2B. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And now, of course, one of the big things is now what? And... You know, those of us who sort of pioneered um, what was going on uh, are unfortunately pretty used to the sexual harassment that we had to put up with. And we never opened up our mouths, by the way. Never, never, never. Because we would be fired. Why would I do that? (laughs) You know. And we need to now move forward. And unfortunately, these same issues are out there. Me Too is right in our faces. And now I've started and I'm trying to start a movement called Now What? So if you go on to neilgottfried.com, you'll see hashtag Now What? I would love people to come on and talk. These are men and women. We all have to come up with the solutions. And the workplace, you know, 
that's it, folks. I mean, we need to we need to change things, but we need to be generative and work together. Well, the benefit the benefit is there's there there have been those trailblazers. You you being you being one of them, and and I would say what I what I and you know, just in my perception, what I would say is uh, an amazing shift is just the the transparency that exists uh, in in the workplace right now. Whether it's uh, uh, Glassdoor uh, and there's a number number of others, but where you know, essentially there's this open way to communicate experience uh, in, you know, in a professional manner. Uh, and given what happened, you know, latter part of, of last year, right, it, it is, it's one of those things where, you know, humans are humans are humans and there's some really uh, unfortunate things that uh, that happen. But oftentimes, you know, there's this, uh, there, there isn't this clear cut way to handle situations. And uh, what's awesome is that a lot of issues were brought to the forefront and now you have, you know, policy that's being created. You have, uh, you know, really transparency and accountability that's taking place, which is, which is, uh, which is awesome. And so I would, I would say thank you for, you know, being one of those trailblazers. And I can imagine in the banking world, you know, during that during that time frame, I can only imagine some of the stuff you know that was uh, going oh on. That's when, uh, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, that's you were, another whole show. Yeah, I can. Oh man, that's a couple of shows probably. That that's a couple of shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I would give Academy Awards for the most. You know, original sexual harassment. You know that, that somebody did to me. Oh um, goodness! But goodness. You, you know what? It was you just you know we sort of plowed through it, um, and then a lot of women dropped out, but. The fact of the matter is we need to surface these issues, but it is more than just coming forward. We need men to also be sensitive to the fact that there may be a predator on the prowl. They know who they are. So rather than just, you know, let the woman get thrown out there, that say to her, hey, you know what, I'd love to join that dinner with you. Um, not to protect her, but just to be there. Mm. And a lot of stuff is going to start to shift. So we need the men to to be there also. And we need, all of us need to watch even our language. I mean, you know the worst insult you can ever give a male athlete or a male is, oh, you throw just like a woman. <laughs> Boom. Shut down. Yep. <laughs> so think about it. Men say it. Women say it. So... We have to watch that. We have to watch our words. We have to watch what that means. Because you've just sent that message to a young kid. You know what? There's nothing worse than being a woman. Yeah, and that's... That's the biggest insult. Yep. Yeah. That's it. And I, and I would say, you know, you... You again, looking at the, the the transparency that's just becoming more and more a part of our of our lives. You know that that accountability is there. Not to say that that's you know what's uh, what's needed. Obviously, you know, abiding by by principles and I would say moral principles uh, would w- should prevent that. But you know, our, our human nature uh, tends to, to influence other ways. But I would I would say in the end, which is which is awesome, is that as these things are flushing themselves out, it's creating a new level of accountability. Uh, and uh, and transparency and so, but it's one of those things where there had to be a, a, a price paid, unfo- un- unfortunately. But um, you know, thankfully, thankfully it was, and hopefully we, as a society, can in- can improve in regards to you know those type of relationships in the workplace. Well, you know, we ultimately are responsible for our behavior, and it would be wonderful if leadership could mean mentorship, could mean being a protector and kind and generative as opposed to 
I'm the leader, you're not, I get to take what I want. So it's shifting the paradigms. As you talked about it before. No, 100%. And that is that is so well so well said because I completely agree with, you know, how cultures cultures inside of a of a business are these are becoming invaluable. And I have I have one of my developers, you know, he was he was at a, a company for a really long time and he was uh, paid really well, he had good benefits, he was very skilled, but it was the culture that drove him out. And and it's because, you know, it variety of issues right but i would say people are um slowly understanding the the intangible value associated with being in a company that has good values has good principles uh and has good and has good culture because they're they're really quickly really quickly growing and i would say companies that don't have it are you know it's one of those ticking time bombs well and also i would add that it's um the, the companies that are diverse do that. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> so diversity is a good thing. And this is I, I'm embarrassed. I mean, again, I'm I I didn't do I don't do this overtly, but I'm embarrassed to kind of say this. Um, but I have you know one of the consultants we we brought in uh, last year. She ran a really big team at um, at T-Mobile. And just an amazing, amazing individual. She has mentored. Uh, she had mentor groups with women, uh, and just did a ton, a, a ton of good there. And uh, and I should probably introduce her to you because she has a, her own podcast too. I think you yeah. guys would have an amazing right. conversation. That was the first thing she said when she came into my office. She was like, she was looking around. She's like, you know what? Um, I I think maybe 40 percent uh, increase in productivity. And I was like, what? And it, and she said it's the it's the balance of uh, of male and female. There's too much mm-hmm. too much uh, too much male going on, and I, yep. and that anyway. So you don't have to commit, you don't have to convince me of that. She uh, she she pointed it out and made her made her case very well. Well, it's interesting too. I'm also an executive in residence up at Columbia Graduate School of Business, and a lot of these issues we think are kind of you know like over with, and I was shocked. Uh, they're not and work-life balance and when you have females and we are the ones who have babies you know how do you handle it and what's the office culture and so I'll hey Patrick I'll come in as a consultant I'll help you with it Um, because you just for the fact that you're open and want to talk about these things that's where the change is going to take place and then you need to okay how to so it's not, you know, it's not men are evil and women are good. It's not that. And we all have good and evil in us. What we have to do is really nurture that good part of it and and make sure it's not a, you know, it's not about saying that that here's the victim and here's the, you know, the victor. It's not. That's not what it's about. It's about how do we raise a culture and make sure that we are diverse and protecting and doing what we want because that's really who everyone wants to do no and wants to be no one wakes up in the morning i really firmly believe this including hitler and says you know what i want to be a really bad person (laughs) what happens is they're misdirected and think what they're doing is good Mm -hmm. and we just have to go "Mm, nope not so much yep and there are those that sociopathic you know mentality is 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 out there, but at the same, but and I and I'm, I mean, this whole Simon Sinek thing totally, and I've talked about this on the show before, but it totally convinced me of 
you know, that you can create a, a culture that is uh, that is inviting, but yet is pow- is powerful. And sure. you know, the, and the big thing, and I got to be honest, because this was like it was it was you know it sent kind of that that lightning bolt of fear in me, which was you you know this this idea that somebody comes into the workplace and becomes um, a worse person when they go home because yeah. of the environment that they're in. And and honest and, and what I said to myself is that's not going to be that's not going to be this this I don't I do not want that on uh, my conscience that is not going to be you know the environment that I want to show up in and and we've made a lot of shifts because because of that and they're and they're, and they're difficult but you know Cameron Harold and and uh, Simon Sinek and a number of others you know Gino Wickman I mean I follow a lot of these different tactics associated with uh, being able to establish culture establish an environment where you know you can not only have a lot of productivity but also just an environment where we feel safe and right. and I think that a lot you know from my my you know I have new glasses on I would say and looking at other companies and how they operate and I'm seeing it in a lot of different areas uh, maybe it's just me but hopefully the the shift is uh, is similar is similar to that uh, you know in, in all in all parts of uh, the US that's great I mean I think it's I think it's really good for you hats off I'm, I'm well, happy for you. Well, thank you for you for for championing like all of these because we've never met before or sp- spoken before, and, and you've championed these ideas for a lot longer than I've implemented them. So thank you know thank you for um, for the books you've written, the teaching you're doing, as as well as uh, really doing good for uh, American American families. And uh, I definitely want to to get the word out about about what you're doing. Would you mind? You know, maybe uh, ending the show is just talking about um, you know the the mission of of Children's Financial Network and the best ways in which uh, we as um, you know as as followers and I would say those that are listening to the podcast are definitely on the same wavelength as you. What ways that we can uh, be involved or follow you or follow the uh, the network? Well, thank you. I mean, the best thing to do is I put everything under one umbrella, so it's Neil Godfrey. That's N E A L E. G-O-D-F-R-E-Y dot com. And you'll see different, what I call them, rooms within this. So we've got Now What? And we've got Ask Neil. I want your people to come in and ask any of those questions of me. We've got Mom Inc., which is for the working mom and the mom entrepreneurs. Kids and money, relationships and money, charity. That whole giving back is so important and so part, you know, so much a part of our self-esteem. So just join, just come on, join, you know, follow the, the site, come on and ask questions and start the dialogue because that's what it, it's really about. Well, Neil, thank you so much for, for being on, and we'll make sure that all of uh, your contact info, the URLs that you've mentioned, uh, the hashtags that you've mentioned are, uh, are all put into uh, the, the show notes and into the, uh, the email uh, announcement. So uh, we'll, make, we'll make sure of that and get you uh, hopefully some new, uh, some new fans. Uh, but I really appreciate you being on. I really appreciate your time. Awesome, awesome conversation today. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're wonderful. Thanks for everything that you're doing, and, and you're making a difference. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next one.